One Week Season. One Week Season fam, La Familia, welcome back. Today is Tuesday, August 8th. I am Mike Johnson, M. Johnson 86, your host for today's training session. Again, Tuesdays, we primarily focus on DraftKings and Drafters contests and scoring settings. Um, this week, we're going to specifically focus on the Drafters contests. If you are not already on Drafters, Drafters.com, uh, they also have an app, but cannot stress this enough how highly I recommend you get on their site. They have two flagship contests. One is a $20 contest, $2 million prize pool, $300,000 to first. Slightly different format than what you're used to with DraftKings and Underdog. They have a cumulative scoring uh, format for 17 weeks. There are no playoffs. It is just cumulative scoring. Very strongly recommend you check it out. Currently, their flagship contest, that $20 contest, is about 20% full. Uh, it should pick up here in the uh, over the next month prior to the season starting, but it is very likely to have overhead that's going to raise your expected value. Uh, their structure with their payouts. Uh, if you do cash, uh, you only need to be in the uh, uh, top 20 per or 19% roughly uh, with the projected overlay um, to have a return on your investment, which is also a higher return on your investment than what you would see from DraftKings or Underdog uh, from finishing in the top two of your initial group. So drafters, again, can't stress this highly enough. Uh, best place you can be putting your money right now for best ball contests, best ball tournaments. High upside, high floor. Uh, you know, if this was a player, I would be highly touting them um, with those types of credentials. So uh, for the contest selection, um, you know, I cannot stress this highly enough. The best place you can be putting your money. If you are not already on Drafters, you can go there, make an account. When you make your first deposit, use deposit code OWS. That will give you a 100% deposit match up to $100. So if you put $100 on, you will get an extra $100 of bonus cash. So in that main contest, uh, that would be essentially five free um, entries. So you know, for the price of five entries, you can get 10. Uh, and that is in addition to the extra value you are getting from the likely overlay. On top of that, they currently have an August draft challenge. If you do 30 contests in uh, the month of August, you will receive three extra free tickets uh, to the uh, excuse me, to the uh, $20 uh, main event that they have. Um, so, you know, there's just so much value there. Uh, so many shots you can get on goal. Best place you can be putting your money. 
If you already have a Drafters account, you can still benefit. Uh, use code OWS Reload. That will give you a 20% deposit bonus um, up to $100. Uh, so if you put $100 on, uh, you would get a $20 bonus. Uh, you could go up to a $500 deposit and get a $100 bonus. So essentially, look at it this way. If you already have an account, if you were to deposit $500, you would get $600 to play. That's your 30 entries uh, over the month of August. As long as you complete them by the end of August, you're going to get three more tickets. So essentially, you would be getting eight free entries um, if you were to do that. So again, Drafters, it's the place to play right now. It is the best place you can be putting your money. Um, highest expected value from a floor and ceiling perspective. Uh, can't stress it enough. And today we are going to get into all the strategies that can help you take down that $200,000. So last week on my training session on Tuesday, we discussed the idea of positional silos and usable weeks from players at each position. So the idea basically is about approaching things from uh, the mindset of maximizing points from each position on your roster um, and kind of looking at them in their own silos in terms of what they are providing um, and how they are accumulating points not just on a weekly basis, but on an average basis and over the course of a season. So really what it comes down to is understanding how you are constructing your team and what to expect from your picks that you've already made and then how to construct your roster based on who you already have on your team. So as you allocate draft capital uh, to certain positions, understanding uh what that means in terms of uh, what you can expect, how many usable weeks from specific players you can expect, uh, understanding what that means for the value of players at that position as you move through uh, your draft. Um, Because once you have a certain baseline, um, if you're approaching things early in a draft and attacking one certain position... Uh, the upside of later picks from that same position uh, has an inverse effect on what they can contribute, what they can expect uh, to need to provide to crack your lineup. So um, on Underdog and DraftKings, the way that the tournaments are set up with playoffs, a lot of times there is benefit to having uh, maybe players who uh, where you can be loaded up at a position. And this is something I've talked about in those specific uh contest formats is uh, you can have multiple players with huge weekly ceilings at a position. It can be very beneficial because if one of them goes off one week, uh, the other one might be lower owned in the playoffs and that can help you uh, potentially because of that structure with the tournament format um, and the staggered kind of survivor way it is set up. So you can kind of benefit from players on your roster failing in certain weeks. Um, that benefit is gone. That uh, idea of uniqueness, um, you know, in creating a low-owned player in your week 17 situation, the benefits of that type of approach are gone in this drafter's full season 
uh, format. So, you know, along with that, there's also the scoring differences. So this is a full PPR site similar to DraftKings, uh, which makes adds value to running backs, receivers, and tight ends, obviously, um, when comparing it to a site like Underdog that is half PPR. The difference, however, is uh, unlike DraftKings, there are no bonuses uh, for 300 yards passing or 100 yards rushing or receiving. Uh, so the combination of no bonuses for uh, 300 yards passing and extra scoring for uh, receptions, which is everybody except the quarterbacks, uh, kind of negatively affects the value of quarterbacks. Um, and within the position, it gives a little bit higher value to the rushing quarterbacks because uh, they, um, they're not quite as affected uh, by the 300-yard passing bonus, where some uh, you know, of the prototypical pocket-type passers, uh, maybe on DraftKings, can be carried a little bit more from reaching those 300-yard bonuses. So, um, yeah, those are the main scoring differences. Everything is the same otherwise on DraftKings as far as uh, roster allocation. You have 20 spots. Um, but the positional silos aspect of it we're going to get into some strategies around that. Uh, if you are a Best Ball Plus subscriber, you can go back and listen to last Tuesday's uh, training session where I talked about that. Uh, and that was relative to advance rate on DraftKings, but it's also obviously very everything we talked about is applicable to uh, drafters because it's the same thing. It's just 17 weeks instead of the 14-week first round on DraftKings. So... Uh, those positional silos, um, understanding how the quarterback position, uh, what one pick is, uh, when you make that first roster selection, uh, how that's going to affect the type of player you're going to uh, want to take as your second quarterback, uh, etc. So um, kind of that if-then statement that we talk about so often, uh, understanding that and we'll dive into that as we go into some examples from some of last year's uh, results. So the next topic or strategy or theory that I want to talk about for drafters contests is the idea of team stacks. Now, obviously, stacking is not a new thing. It's something that's used in uh, DFS, season-long, uh, regular basketball contests like Underdog and DraftKings where they have uh, playoff formats. So stacking is nothing new, but a um, couple things. Obviously, Week 17 doesn't have added extra value, uh, so you can get rid of the um, need for game stacks. Uh, but team stacks specifically um, have a a very high uh, rate of return or potential rate of return, I should say, um, when utilized on drafters. And the reason for that is just the idea that the rising tide lifts all boats. So uh, basically, ADPs are, uh, in general, um, a huge input into projections, which in turn... Uh, dictate ADPs 
is the idea of how teams are going to perform, how teams are going to uh, operate, whether it's in terms of pace of play, play volume, um, or efficiency, or, you know, and the combination of all those things. So when those assumptions are proven wrong, uh, which is going to happen every year without question, um, if you can be on a team uh, that outperforms the expectations, um, you can really benefit and you can knock out, you can have several spots in your roster be very good contributors to your final product. And again, on drafters, we're just con- concerned with that cumulative score at the end. Um, so to kind of get an idea of why team stacking is so beneficial on drafters relative to other contests, uh, you have to understand why on other contests uh, with the playoff formats, um, you know, there is like a limit. Uh, there's there's a point where there's a diminishing returns um, from having too many players from the same team uh, just because of how the how the end of season payouts are specifically in week 17 uh, or even advancing in weeks 15 and 16 um, by nature with your limited roster spots you, there's only if you're going to win in week 17, let's say, you have to uh, have a very high score. And if you're using five or six roster spots on players from one team, uh, you're essentially you're essentially guaranteeing that at least two or three players on your roster aren't going to contribute because uh, usually when there are some ceiling performances from one or two players, uh, it kind of cannibalizes other players on the roster. So uh, there's a point of diminishing returns. Uh, Hilo has talked a lot about uh, the game theory of that, the kind of the optimal uh, stacking strategy and size uh, for those contests. Well, on drafters, uh, you don't have to worry about that so much. And there's, there's a floor component of uh, if you have several players from one team, um, they can kind of ham and egg uh, throughout weeks where if, uh, you know, you're usually going to get at least a couple of usable scores from the players on those teams. So with all of that in mind, you know, there's three different kind of tiers that I, I'm looking at uh, as teams that I like uh, stacking up on drafters. The first and probably the one that I do most commonly is the cheaper teams. So the Panthers, the Patriots, the Packers, and the Texans. Now, these are all teams that they have, uh, they do not have high end, like top two round players. Um, they have younger quarterbacks, of course, Bryce Young, Mac Jones, Jordan Love, and CJ Stroud, all in, you know, within the first three years of their career. Um, you know, all are available. Uh, deep into the double-digit rounds of drafts um, and all have relatively low expectations as offenses. Of course, the Panthers, Patriots, and Texans had poor offenses last year. The Packers lost Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Um, But what's interesting about those is you look at uh, the Patriots have Ramondre Stevenson, usually goes in the third round. 
the Packers have Christian Watson and Aaron Jones usually go in the fourth and fifth rounds. Um, and then you look at the Panthers and the Texans. Uh, Panthers with Miles Sanders usually goes in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, the Texans have Damian Pierce usually goes uh, kind of in that same range around Sanders. But otherwise, these teams are the rest of the players that are going to be on the field uh, very often for them are all double-digit round-type picks. Um, you know, so it's a situation where for pretty much all of these teams, they don't need to be dominant offenses. If they are even the 12th to 15th uh, ranked offense at the end of the year in terms of yards, in terms of points scored, um, there is going to be a lot of usable weeks. There is going to be a lot of ADP value uh, cumulatively across those teams. So I really like the idea, and it's a, it's a strategy that I take quite often, of loading up on some of these teams. And by nature, you're going to uh, you're going to outperform, um, you know, as a whole. And you look at them as a group of players and how they're going to uh, contribute to your roster. And there's a level of floor, but also a level of ceiling that comes into play there because, you know, the Panthers, for example, who are probably my favorite team on this list, um, you know, Bryce Young, the number one overall pick, very talented player. He's got a great offensive-minded head coach. Uh, and he's coming in. He has uh, Hayden Hurst is the, his tight end. Hurst is available in the 17th to 19th, 19th round of drafters drafts pretty consistently. Um, Young himself is going like around pick 175, 180. Um, and then his three wide receivers are all available in the uh, like 12th, 13th round. So you look at a team like that, and if Young is, uh, you know, is, is solid at all, really, uh, there is going to be a lot of value across the board there. Um, and it isn't costing you a lot of draft capital, and it can kind of complement, um, really for all these teams, they can kind of complement your earlier picks uh, very well. The next group of team stacks, I, I look at these as like more upside teams. Uh, these are teams that maybe they have a couple of higher draft capital players, uh, but they also have some value available. Uh, there also is some I guess, pessimism around them, despite, uh, you know, the, the clear potential uh, that they have on their roster. The team specifically that I'm looking at are the Vikings, the Cowboys, and the Jets. Uh, you know, the Vikings, they lost Alvin Cook. Uh, Kirk Cousins always has this, like, negative um, perception around him. The Cowboys, they uh, lost Ezekiel Elliott. Now Mike McCarthy is talking about slowing things down, running the ball a lot. Uh, and then the Jets, um, you know, they've added Aaron Rodgers. Uh, all of those players, you look at, the the key for me is Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins. Those are all quarterbacks that we know are very capable. Uh, it would not be surprising for any of these teams at the end of the year to be like, wow, yeah, they had a really good offense because those are quarterbacks that we know uh, are very capable. Now, uh, again, the Vikings have Justin Jefferson going number one overall. They have TJ Hawkinson going in the fourth or fifth round. 
The Cowboys have CeeDee Lamb and, and Tony Pollard going early in drafts. Uh, the Jets have Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall going in the usually the second and third or fourth round, uh, respectively. So they do have some draft capital associated with them, but uh, they also have players that are going to be on the field for them a lot uh, who are very affordable. You, you look at uh, K.J. Osborne specifically for the Vikings. Even uh, Alexander Madison, his his draft stock is dropping. He's readily available at the end of the fifth round or in the sixth round uh, pretty consistently. Um, you look at the Cowboys, Jake Ferguson available at the very end of drafts. Uh, Michael Gallup available in the 12th or 13th round. The Cowboys backup running backs, Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn, uh, available in the last round of drafts. Uh, you look at the Jets, Tyler Conklin, available very late. Corey Davis, McCole Hardman, working with the first team, available very late. Uh, so there's just so many things here with these offenses where uh, you can stack them up and it might cost you a little bit, but really it's it's less of a leap of faith than those cheap teams that I talked about. Um, you know, and you can even stack those teams up. Uh, I've done it several times where I'll take uh, Aaron Rodgers in the 11th round, 10th or 11th round when he'll fall there. Um, and then I'll back stack him up with uh, Tyler Conklin, Corey Davis, and McCole Hardman. You know, if if Rodgers has a really good year, uh, it's not all going to go through Garrett Wilson. And right now, Hardman and Davis have been working ahead of Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb uh, in, in practices. So it's a situation where, again, the rising tide can lift all boats. You know, and then finally, you uh, have the somewhat more obvious teams, uh, but those are premium teams like the Eagles, Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals. Um, these are teams that uh, score a lot, that throw a lot in general, uh, that have um, the Eagles, I guess, have the probably highest uh, rushing percentage uh, percentage of plays that they run as they do run plays. Um, but obviously, uh, Jalen Hurts is a huge part of those running plays as well. Um, and they have a very content, condensed uh, target tree between A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. So uh, those are premium teams that uh, you can stack up again, and it's just a matter of understanding that uh, you might not have all these players uh, drastically outproduce their ADP uh, individually, but when you look at them as a group, and the way that they function and how you can consistently get uh, usable scores week in and week out, uh, it makes a lot more sense than on some of the traditional like tournament style, uh, you know, with playoffs, uh, best ball formats. Um, you know, and the other part with that I want to touch on real briefly with team stacks is that you can do these and you can include or exclude the quarterback. It's easier to exclude the quarterback if it's a pocket quarterback. Um, it just kind of ignores that quarterback's positional silo. It's not something you need to do. Again, it's something that if you have the quarterback, obviously if the other players are all uh, hitting, there's a good chance that the quarterback is providing value as well. Uh, but depending on how you've built the rest of your team, I mean, if you are... Uh, you know, you can you can stack uh, a bunch of Jets players 
but not have Aaron Rodgers, and that's fine. Let's say you took, um, you know, Joe Burrow fell to you in the fifth, fifth as he's uh, among his injury concerns, um, his draft stock is falling. Or Justin Fields, who, you know, his skill set fits perfectly uh, with this format. You take him in the fifth round. Um, you don't have to force Aaron Rodgers onto that to uh, have a bunch of Jets. You don't have to force uh, Bryce Young onto that team um, just to have a bunch of Panthers if you want to do this team stack approach. Um, you know, it's okay. Uh, it's easier to exclude when that is a court, pocket quarterback uh, just because um, it's harder to execute the team stack, uh, in my opinion, when you have a rushing quarterback involved because that rushing quarterback, uh, he can, on a weekly basis, can cannibalize um, more of the production, which could in turn make it so that none of, you know, or very few of your other players uh, are giving you usable weeks. So it uh, just becomes a little more, um, a little, a little more the way it works together within your roster. Uh, you know, it's something that everybody thinks of team stacks as, you know, the quarterback is a core piece, uh, but you can, you can stack up a team, uh, especially in this format, and just leave the quarterback out altogether, um, and it doesn't it doesn't negatively affect your expectation, in my opinion. So now we've talked somewhat about positional silos, uh, and I'll get deeper into that uh, as we go through this next part. Um, and we've also talked about uh, team stacks, you know, uh, approaching things and building around specific NFL teams um, and trying to uh, catch that rising tide and kind of knock out a few spots, get a lot of production uh, just by making one bet, which is uh, something that we talk about often in DFS. uh, But in this particular format, in best ball especially, uh, something that can help us kind of get where we're trying to go, uh, help us get into the cash, and then hopefully uh, make a run at the top. So you know, an exercise that I find highly valuable and that's really telling, I think, is is digging into the numbers and just quite frankly, looking back at last year's uh, results. If you did play on drafters last year, real easy to go back. Uh, if you just go to the uh, My Teams and then the History tab, uh, you'll be able to see uh, your bring up pretty easily uh, last year's contest. Um, from there, you can click on standings and you can see the whole standings from the contest. And then the really cool thing about their interface is you can click on any team. Uh, so you can click on any team from the standings and you can see uh, their whole roster. But then you can also go back, you can see their whole draft. So you can see how things uh, kind of came to be. Um, so, you know, a little digging, a little research uh, that I did that kind of helping us formulate our strategy and approach to the contest. So the contest last year was won by a user named Titletown2121. Believe he is from the Green Bay area, close to where I live, actually, ironically. Um, But the other cool thing about uh, the interface on drafters is next to uh, when you're in a contest and you're drafting, uh, when you see a person's name, 
Uh, next to it in parentheses, you'll see a number, and that number is which draft that is uh, for that person. So how many drafts in uh, they are in that contest. So uh, Tittletown 2121, this was his 90th entry in the contest. Uh, ironically, slightly off topic, um, two of the top 10 teams uh, in the contest were the first team drafted by that person. Uh, so really interesting. There was no number next to them, which means it's their first entry. Um, I'm not sure. I'm assuming they, they entered more than one. Uh, but for those of you who may be a uh, little timid to jump in the waters, uh, just some interesting information there that two of the top 10 teams out of the 44,000 last year, uh, it was the first team uh, drafted by that person. Um, myself, I actually only had one entry in this contest last year. I was a little slow uh, getting around on drafters myself, uh, and I finished about 4,000th place, uh, more than doubled my money uh, with that entry. Um, And of course, that was my first and only entry. Um, So we're going to dive in. Uh, We'll start with Titletown 2121, uh, the champion. Uh, We'll start with his team, breaking down his draft, his, his roster, um, and some different things around that. And then uh, we will expand into uh, like the top five, top 10, uh, and find some commonalities and approaches um, and try to translate that into uh, this year's contest. So uh, Titletown 2121, his build, he had a 2792 build. So that's two quarterbacks, seven running backs, nine wide receivers, and two tight ends. Looking at his quarterback position, he had Jalen Hurts and Zach Wilson. Uh, So like we've talked about uh, multiple times, he found that elite quarterback with rushing equity. um, And he got Hurts, who was kind of behind the premium tier of quarterbacks last year. Uh, You look at guys this year who would kind of fit that build. You're talking Justin Watson, uh, or sorry, Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Anthony Richardson, um, quarterbacks who we know they have athleticism. We know they have the ability to make plays uh, with their legs. Um, Fields and Richardson, especially, uh, they have some uh, growth to do as far as passing the football, uh, but there's no question about their physical abilities running, whereas uh, Watson and Dak um, are more complete quarterbacks, a little bit uh, different points in their career arcs, uh, but also we know that they have the ability uh, to make plays with their legs. So uh, things could definitely break right for them to pay off in a similar fashion. Um, and then, you know, a late round quarterback too, just to fill in, uh, you know, as a bye week or injury weeks, uh, that was Zach Wilson. Obviously, Wilson was awful last year. Um, just goes to show you can you can miss on some picks and still be all right. Um, also goes to show that, uh, you know, and we'll dive into some of the more specific quarterback uh, trends across the top 10 later. Uh, but, you know, not forcing um, a bunch of players, just kind of being willing to uh, ride with a couple quarterbacks. And w- especially when you're using uh, somewhat higher draft capital uh, on one of them. At running back, uh, they had Brees Hall, obviously a rookie with upside uh, not a rookie that's going like super late in drafts. Um, and it's a rookie who, 
um, and certainly not going overlooked. Uh, but a huge, you know, and Hall, Hall tore his ACL. He he didn't even have as good of a year as he could have had. Uh, but you look at um, what he did. He had some huge spike weeks. Obviously helped this team build a big uh, lead. They actually had a pretty poor week 17 uh, and still won the contest. So, uh, you know, Jameer Gibbs type of guy uh, that reminds me of a Brees Hall. Gibbs, you can get him quite often, like at the end of the third round. Uh, seems like a similar type of upside pick in that range as Hall was last year. Um, then you look at, they had uh, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Brian Robinson, uh, three of the net were the next three running backs off the board. Um, those are all higher volume guys, um, a little bit later in drafts with upside based on uh, either their talent, uh, you know, Jacobs and Sanders, highly touted uh, backs coming out. Um, Robinson uh, also had some some hype prior to getting shot in the leg last year. Um, you know, and the offense that they're likely to be usable, uh, you know, quite often, um, but also have, uh, you know, upside on a weekly basis and where things could break right for them. When you think about, uh, you know, how Jacobs uh, took control of that backfield without uh, other talent around him. You talk about Miles Sanders and uh, how that Philadelphia offense took off. Uh, you know, guys, running backs in similar situations this year, uh, going in those like kind of late, later single digit rounds, um, you know, mid to later single digit rounds. You look at Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders again, Cam Akers, Javante Williams. Uh, you got J.K. Dobbins, Isaiah Pacheco, James Conner, David Montgomery. So, you know, that group, there's going to be uh, a couple of them, like Jacobs and Sanders were last year, uh, that really stand out, that really um, kind of hit their ceiling outcome. So, you know, again, it's just a matter of, of can you get those couple guys on a roster together? And that goes back to something I've talked about in other training sessions about um, kind of how you approach things uh, consistently, um, trying to uh, give yourself uh, similar shots, I guess you'll say, uh, or lots of shots uh, with similar approaches, you know, and a, a bit of this is luck, let's be honest, um, that you need to get uh, the right guys combined on the right roster. So, uh, but you need to be hunting in the right places uh, to make that happen. Um, and then finally, his final three running backs, you have Alexander Madison, uh, Jarek McKinnon, and Dante Foreman. You know, you look at what type of running backs are these. These are contingent value running backs. All of them were not projected for uh, much, if any, workload uh, entering the season. Um, but you look at those three players uh, Madison and Foreman, they were behind some elite running backs. So, uh, offenses that were designed, you know, to fit, uh, a situation where a, a running back gets a, a lot of volume, um, and is kind of a, can be a focal point of the offense. Um, so you look at that as Madison and Foreman, they have that huge weekly upside, uh, relative to where they're going, where they can deliver those 20 to 30 point games, uh, which they did, you know, or someone who's in an elite offense, uh, such as Jarek McKinnon and 
uh, bonus points he's involved in the passing game as part of his skill set. You look at a few guys that I'm seeing uh, that kind of fit uh, that similar type of mold. Uh, Jerome Ford in Cleveland uh, playing behind Nick Chubb. Uh, very good offense um, that's built around uh, the running backs in large part. Uh, Tajay Spears in Tennessee, a uh, rookie running back who is getting a lot of, of, of camp hype. Um, and obviously the Titans have been built around Derrick Henry for years. Uh, so it's not like if Henry were to miss time, uh, they would just abandon the run altogether. We saw a couple of years ago, uh, Dante Foreman, Dontrell Hilliard, uh, some, some kind of off the street type running backs really take the reins, uh, when Henry was out and with what Spears is showing, you know, he's a guy, uh, with huge contingent value. And then, uh, Malik Davis and Michael Carter, uh, two guys that are available like at the very end of drafts. Um, and they are guys where Michael Carter, uh, that Jets offense that we talked about, uh, they could be very good. Uh, and Carter has been involved in the passing game before. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he's the type of guy uh, that gains Aaron Rodgers' trust. Uh, Malik Davis on that Cowboys offense um, with Ezekiel Elliott out. Uh, Davis has has done some really good things, a lot of good reports since he's entered the league in Dallas. Um, you know, so whether they are uh, heavily towards the run, lean heavily towards the run, as is rumored, um, that would mean a lot of running back touches uh, and Tony Pollard's only going to, you know, have the ball so much. Uh, so that would help Davis. Uh, and otherwise, um, if they are not super run heavy, uh, Davis is just going to benefit from the fact that it's more explosive offense uh, and that contingent value if Pollard were to miss time is even greater, you know, and Joshua Kelly or Isaiah Spiller, whoever ends up uh, the Chargers backup running back behind uh, Austin Eckler also kind of would fit in that mold. When you then look at the wide receivers for Titletown 21-21's roster, uh, so he started out with three wide receivers right out of the gate, uh, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, and Tyreek Hill in that order. Um, you know, and I think this year it's it's not that hard to do something similar with a stud early and then get two of, you know, the Jalen Waddle through Keenan Allen group in the second and third round. Um, you know, not hard. I think that, uh, you know, any group of three that you get through three rounds, um, you can see past to where they could have that huge, uh, that huge grouping. Um, and we'll get through, I'm going to break down some of the results, uh, from those guys in a bit here. Um, and then they had Tyler Lockett, uh, the high ceiling, uh, forgotten veteran being overlooked, uh, in drafts, but you know, he gave a lot of value, especially in that format with his spike weeks. Um, they had Garrett Wilson. So he hit on the stud rookie wide receiver, um, you know, looking at this year, uh, all the first round wide receivers are going in like the sixth or seventh round of best ball drafts. Uh, so they're kind of priced up. Uh, Wilson was drafted, I believe in the 10th or 11th round, um, of this draft. Uh, so this year for somebody like to hit like Wilson did last year, um, it's going to have to be more of a dart throw type looking at guys like Marvin Mims, Jaden Reed, uh, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman. Um, you know, talented, uh, physically gifted rookie wide receivers, uh, but are going to need some things to break right uh, in terms of 
their production, their on-field uh, play, and the offense around them. Um, and then at the tight end position, they had uh, George Kittle and Evan Ingram. Uh, so those are a couple of elite weekly ceiling players. Um, and a few weeks ago, I talked, uh, broke down some things with the uh, underdog weekly winners uh, contest. And George Kittle talked about how he, on a weekly basis, um, you know, his production basically um, on the high end, his his top uh, four performances were not very far off uh, when you compare it positionally across the tight end position from uh, the top, you know, Travis Kelsey. Uh, so when you consider that, uh, you know, and both offenses ended up being very good. That's the other uh, commonality, um, as far as, you know, the Niners and the Jaguars both ended up as good offenses. So, uh, tight ends who had elite weekly ceilings, uh, and on offenses who ended up being very good. So that's what the roster looked like, but then where did the points come from? So the total scoring breakdown and the silos will break it down all the way. So, uh, Ended up with 2,734 total points. That's an average of right around 161 points per week uh, over 17 weeks. Uh, you know, very, very impressive. Um, breaking it down, looking at start at the tight end position, we'll, we'll go through the 1Z positions first. So uh, at the tight end position, um, they scored over the course of 17 weeks, 250 points came from the tight end position or 14.7 points per week. There was a few down weeks, uh, but there were also uh, several monster ceiling weeks. Uh, Kittle had two or three huge games. Uh, Ingram had a couple himself. Um, there were two weeks where uh, one of the uh, tight ends was the flex player as well. So you get a 14 point week uh, in the flex from a tight end and an 18 point week from the, uh, a tight end in the flex. Um, but looking just at that positional silo of the tight end position, the starter for the tight end position, so the highest scoring tight end, uh, 250 points over the 17 weeks, um, you know, 14.7 points per week. When you, you know, and that's, uh, again, that's the position, when I talk positional silo, that's kind of the approach uh, to think about, um, you know, and understanding how you're, uh, allocating the draft capital to try to maximize uh, that particular silo. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll dive into a couple other things, uh, from the tight end position from the top, several of the top teams, uh, in just a bit. So moving on to the quarterback position, uh, they had Jalen Hurts and Zach Wilson, obviously. So Hurts was their guy, clearly, uh, but they took a zero in week 17 because Hertz was hurt and Zach Wilson was benched. Uh, in week 16, Hertz was out that week as well. Gardner Minshew started and had actually a, a really big week uh, against the uh, Cowboys that week. But uh, Zach Wilson played but only scored two points. So uh, zero points in week 17 from the quarterback position. Uh, two in week 16. Uh, Wilson scored seven, uh, points 
in uh, Jalen Hurts' bye week, uh, and he beat him by three points in week four. Uh, that was the only week where uh, both players played and Wilson outscored uh, Hurts. Uh, so 12 total points were added from Wilson uh, to Hertz's uh, season total. Again, just breaking down that like positional silo, the idea of um, if you have that premium quarterback, uh, you know, understanding that you can just kind of ride uh, them. And again, at the quarterback position, I'm going to dive into some, some interesting stuff uh, in a little bit here. Um, when you look at the running back silo, so uh, each week for 17 weeks, you're starting uh, two players in the running back position, your highest two scoring running backs. Uh, over the course of that time, uh, this roster scored 726 points from the running back silo. That's 42.7 points per week from the two positions or just over 21 points per starting slot uh, over 17 weeks. Super impressive. Uh, at the wide receiver position, pretty similar. 1,117 total points from the wide receiver silo. That's three starting slots, uh, 65.7 points per week, uh, just under 22 points per starting slot. So between 21 and 22 points uh, per starting slot across those five uh, spots, the running back and wide receiver silos. Um, there's, you know... Looking at those silos, though, from a weekly standpoint, really some interesting things. So in 15 of 17 weeks, the this team had 40 or more points from their wide receiver silo. So only twice uh, did their three players, three top scoring wide receivers, uh, fail to score uh, at least 40 points. Um, going even further... 10 of the 17 weeks, their top three receivers combined for at least 70 points. You know, so that's, you're looking at uh, over tw 23 points per game across three positions. Again, highly, highly impressive. Uh, that's a number that, frankly, it's just hard to get to across three positions when you're thinking about how you're going to draft if you don't have a couple of studs at least. Um, you know, consistently high-end production from their top three picks, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Tyreek Hill, 36 usable weeks. So if you think about it, 17 weeks, right? Um, and there are uh, three wide receivers, you know, three players, uh, but they're each taking a bye. So it's really 16 weeks. So really there's 48 uh, would be the maximum amount of weeks that they could crack your lineup. So 36 of those 48 weeks, um, they were, uh, this roster was getting, um, you know, a 75%, 36 out of 48, uh, chance that, um, in a given week, one of these players specifically was, was entering the lineup, a uh, lot of value there again, and that can help dictate where are we using those later picks, you know, um, not to nitpick because this was an awesome roster, an awesome team, uh, but the 2792 build, uh, you look at uh, what they gave up. Um, you know, you look at uh, 
zero points from the quarterback position in week 17, two points uh, in week 16. Uh, Zach Wilson only had, uh, what did I say, seven points during the bye week, and he only beat Hurts one time. Obviously, Hurts had a monster season, but still, when you think about this roster, uh, you know, late in the draft, they had uh, Cedric Wilson uh, from the Dolphins. They had Nick Westbrook-Kinney from the Titans. Uh, and I think Westbrook-Kinney actually did put up one big game. Um, but when you think about it, like those eighth and ninth receivers, um, you know, what are they really providing on a roster like this? This is something I've talked about. Uh, whereas, you know, potentially that third quarterback, you know, they could provide 15, 20, 30 points um, you know, just by the nature of, um, the numbers that are involved at each position. So, you know, not to nitpick this, you know, $250,000 richer and, um, for taking first in this contest. So who am I to, uh, second guess him, but, you know, it's something that I've done too, that I've looked back at rosters after I've drafted and been like, ah, maybe I didn't need that guy. So, um, just something to keep in mind, just what you are uh, betting on. And, you know, when you make these draft picks, you, you start with three wide receivers. Um, you're going to need a performance like this from those uh, top end guys. You're going to need, uh, you know, something like this 36 out of 48 weeks where they're contributing um, to your lineup. And you're going to need them, obviously, to be, if they're contributing, uh, you're going to want them performing at that higher level where you're getting, you know, like this roster had 10 weeks of at least 70 points uh, from their wide receiver position. So, uh, you know, just that, you know, we have to keep in mind, even as good as this roster was, uh, the contest this year, uh, the, if it fills, it'll have 111,000 entries. Last year's uh, contest had 44,000 entries. Um, now, I will be kind of surprised if it does fill. Uh, but at the very least, you know, we could ex we should expect about twice as big a contest, you know, close to 90,000 uh, entries. So, um, you know, a roster like this, you might not get away with the zero and two uh, from the quarterback position at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, just again, keeping in mind where you've allocated draft capital, so important because uh, those points are going to be huge uh, if you do put yourself in contention. Um, so that was a lot on the wide receiver silo, uh, the running back silo, you know, just breaking it down on a weekly basis as well, 25 or more points from in every week from the running back silo. So, uh, you know, only five weeks, uh, they had 50 or more points, uh, you know, I should say only five, but you know, five weeks of 50 or more points from two positions, uh, is really good, obviously. Um, but the key there is that to me is that most weeks were in the 25 to 45 point range. Um, they weren't taking zeros. They weren't, um, not getting production. Obviously part of that is staying healthy, but, uh, an occasional spike weeks, you know, can kind of carry that total up. But the key is consistent, solid con contributions, guys who are touching the ball, the health part you can't control, um, but giving yourself that, putting yourself in position uh, where, you know, even in those down weeks, 
you're still getting somewhat solid contributions, kind of holding, uh, you know, holding serve. Um, booking. All right, so I'm going to move on now. Um, kind of getting long winded here, so I'm going to move on for you. Um, looking at top teams, um, you know, there were five, six. There were six players. Uh, that were common on each of the top two teams. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Brees Hall, ironically, because he tore his ACL in week uh, seven or eight. Um, Josh Jacobs, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, and Tyler Lockett. All were common on top two teams. You know, and player selection obviously becomes a much bigger deal in this uh, contest um, than in uh, the DraftKings underdog type contest. You look at Justin Jefferson's year last year, monster season, absolutely terrific. Had nine weeks where he scored at least 30 DraftKings points uh, through the first 16 weeks of the NFL season. Uh, Laid an absolute dud in week 17. You weren't winning a contest, um, almost certainly weren't winning a a contest if you had him on your roster in week 17. Just crazy to say because he was like the best player in fantasy last year, arguably, um, if you remove draft costs. Um, but Jalen Hurts, you know, outperformed, you know, he was the top, when you look at his, his cost acquisition cost, um, outperformed, uh, his position pretty, pretty highly too. Um, Josh Jacobs kind of came out of nowhere. So, you know, those guys aren't shockers. Like you got to pick, um, you know, player selection and, and being on the right guys is very important. Um, when we get to tight end, I, I told you I'd mention this. So the tight end position, very interesting. George Kittle and Evan Ingram, that combination obviously was on the, the first place roster that I've, I've been talking about, uh, but it was also on another roster, that exact combination of two players. Um, TJ Hawkinson was on another two of the top five teams, and Kelsey uh, was on the other. Um, another interesting thing is that there was a, uh, Tyler Higby, um, Robert Tanyan, Greg Dulcich team in the top 10. Uh, so, you know, three late round, uh, tight ends. I talk a lot about the, uh, blind squirrel tight end approach, uh, taking just three or four real late tight ends and hoping that they kind of put it together, put put their weeks together uh, just right for you. And you always have uh, at least one contributor um, and get some spike weeks in there too. Uh, So it was interesting that that uh, did work out for that one team. So uh, interesting how those specific, uh, you know, you look at the the top five, you had Hawkinson on two of them, Travis Kelsey on one, and then specifically who had George Kittle with Evan Ingram on two others. So, um, you know, interesting how, and something I've talked about, uh, and I have a storyboard article coming out on our site about a, a draft I did where I took Travis Kelsey in the first round and kind of talked through throughout the draft on what that selection really opened up for me uh, throughout the rest of the draft because, um, you know, he was giving me such a value uh with, you know, he's going to average 18 to 20 points a game likely in this format. Um, and what that gives you 
even look at the Kittle and Ingram duo, I told you that uh, averaged 14.7 points um, per game over the, uh, if you just take their best score for the, over the course of the season. Um, so obviously Kelsey's providing a lot of value for you there. Uh, at the quarterback position, you had uh, the top five teams. Jalen Hurts was on two of them. He was drafted in the sixth round on both. Uh, you had same combination, kind of similar to the Kittle-Ingram thing at tight end. At quarterback, you had Joe Burrow and Jared Goff together on two of the top five rosters. Um, and they were drafted in the 8th and 15th round in one draft and 7th and 14th round in another. Uh, and then you had uh, Patrick Mahomes on one of the top five rosters. Uh, he was drafted in the 5th round of that draft, and that was a roster where he was on it with uh, with Travis Kelsey, stacked up with Kelsey. If you expand to look at the top 10 teams, Josh Allen was on one roster. Patrick Mahomes was on two. Um, if we're looking at the quarterback one, let me rephrase the quarterback one, uh, for top 10 teams, uh, you had three teams with Jalen hurts as their quarterback one, two teams with Patrick Mahomes, two teams with Joe Burrow. And then you had, uh, one each with Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, and Kyler Murray. So interesting thing. You look at the total scoring for the season. Eight of the top 10 teams had a top four quarterback on the season as their quarterback one, uh, with that being Allen, Mahomes, Hurts, or Burrow. Those were the top four scoring quarterbacks in this format, um, and they were on eight of the top 10 teams. Uh, the other two teams both had Daniel Jones on them. So uh, one of them, Jones, was their quarterback one. It was him and uh, Baker Mayfield and Taysom Hill, uh, quite the quarterback room. Um, and the other one was Jones with Kyler Murray. Um, but either way, so every team in the top 10 had one of the top four scoring quarterbacks on it, or they had Daniel Jones. Um, interesting, you know, Jones ended up, he was QB nine on the season in this format. Uh, he was taken in the 12th and 13th rounds uh, on those teams that I'm talking about. Uh, so just an interesting you know, interesting to dive into that and to think about it. Obviously, the players at the position that score the most, um, the players who score the most at that position are being at the top of this, uh, at the top of the list, having teams uh, that finish at the top of this contest shouldn't come as a shock. Uh, but what's interesting to me and what I'll be really interested uh, to see going forward is a different quarterback landscape this year. Quarterbacks are going earlier. Uh, we have a little bit more information, um, but it's the same scoring dynamics. So it'll be interesting to me to see, you know, how those things balance out. Um, looking at the top 10 teams in this contest uh, and their roster constructions. So obviously this team I broke down had the 2792. Uh, second place, a three six eight three, which is like the default um, and kind of standard safe approach. Uh, it's if you just auto draft on drafters, that's what you'll get. Unless you change, there's actually on their site. It's pretty cool. You can change uh, position maximums um, to uh, if you get in that spot. 
to where you can change uh, how many players you can get from each specific position. Uh, but anyways, I digress. Uh, the third place team had a 2-5-11-2 roster. Uh, so 11 wide receivers, only two quarterbacks, five running backs, and two tight ends. Uh, fourth was also 3-6-8-3, 4 fifth place, 2-7-7-4 for sixth place. And then the next, the last four were 3-7-8-2, and I feel like I am dialing long distance right now. Um, anyways, you know, some interesting things, you know, looking at that data as a whole. No one had more than three quarterbacks. Uh, shouldn't be surprising, but, um, you know, especially uh, interesting with the state of the quarterback position this year. Um, four of the top 10 had double-digit wide receivers, uh, which I found uh, very interesting as well. Um, one team had four tight ends. Uh, again, the blind squirrel approach that, that I talk about a lot um, and I've talking about talked about since May. Um, all four tight ends were taken in double-digit rounds, uh, the 11th, 14th, 19th, and 20th. Uh, which is, you know, if you go back to my June 20th podcast um, on the Best Ball Plus feed, uh, where I talked about some basic drafters approaches, um, that was one of the things I talked about was those late round picks and how uh, tight ends who are going to be on the field a lot, um, depending on how you build your roster, uh, they can provide a lot of value. You look like look at guys like uh, Jake Ferguson, uh, Luke Musgrave, Isaiah Likely, um, you know, even Kate Otten, Noah Fant, guys like that, uh, who, you know, they could put together nice years. They're going to pl- be on the field a lot for their teams. Things can go right for them. Uh, so that was interesting. So one team uh, with four tight ends all taken in the double-digit rounds uh, were was in the top 10. Uh, no one in the top 10 had more than seven running backs on their roster with 20 roster spots. Uh, and if you are uh, limiting to only a couple of quarterbacks, maybe you take Travis Kelsey, you only have a couple tight ends. Uh, it certainly can be tempting. Maybe you want to get uh, that eighth, maybe ninth running back uh, sometimes, rarely ninth. But um, just very interesting that everyone had between five and seven running backs. Um. And yeah, you know, I talked about it already with the quarterbacks, um, but it's it's kind of you're seeing how these quarterbacks have different values. Uh, the scoring settings are more favorable for other positions uh, with no bonuses um, like underdog, but it's full PPR. So that makes the pass catching positions, uh, you know, gain relative to quarterback. Um, but the rushing quarterbacks or the elite guys have that extra uh, that extra, uh, value to them. Um, you look at, I told you the Burrow Goff pairing, uh, they kind of worked together just perfectly. Um, they were the, uh, non-rushing quarterbacks that were in that, uh, that found their way. You know, you look at the top 10, um, all of those players, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Daniel Jones, um, you know, the Joe Burrow, Goff, and Jared Goff uh, groupings are the only ones out of that top 10 
where there's not like that elite uh, rushing type player. Uh, but what you di- what you did have is just a couple of the uh, upper middle tier guys, uh, or you know, with Burrow and Goff as pocket passers, who they kind of ham and egged it perfectly. Um, and when one of them had a bit of a down week, when Burrow would have his down weeks, uh, Goff came came up with his uh, monster Lions weeks uh, just enough times uh, to really carry those teams. Um, like I said, will be really interesting to see the results this year. Now that co- quarterbacks are going, uh, so much earlier. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that I'm going to keep digging into over the next few weeks, you know, how to parse through all of this information. Uh, but you know, just a really cool format, you know, and my biggest takeaways as I look at all of these things, um, you know, first, there's not just one way to win. You know, the top teams had varying approaches. You know, um, health is key and you can't control it, uh, but you can build around it. Um, and something that you'll hear too often in this industry is, you know, draft as if you're right. But uh, it really is important to not uh, kind of overdraft some of these positions um, out of fear, out of fear of what if this guy misses a few uh a few weeks here, a few weeks there. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to have enough, um, at certain positions. Um, you know, understanding, uh, understanding the risks that you might have to take, uh, but understanding the spots to take them, um, you know, is so critical, um, and kind of weighing those things. I talked before about, uh, those two late, late wide receivers, uh, that were taken, um, as the eighth and ninth wide receivers, uh, and then taking zeros at the quarterback position. Um, you know, there's, there's a delicate balance and you've got to kind of understand, uh, how the rest of your team is built and, um, you know, what, what it can withstand. Uh, you know, and the other thing is only three of the 10 teams in the top 10 had traditional, uh, three, six, eight, three construction. Um, it just is, uh, the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, that's, that's the way the teams are naturally built. It feels the safest. Uh, but only three of the top 10 teams had that traditional build. So 70% of the top 10 last year, uh, was getting a bit uncomfortable somewhere. Uh, so, you know, that tells me, obviously you can do it, you know, the traditional way or the uh, safe way. Um, but also, uh, you know, I think that as this contest grows, as people pay more attention to it, um, I think that those who are willing to take a little bit more risks, um, are going to be rewarded a little bit more. Um, and I've talked, you know, in depth today and throughout, um, the drafting season about how high I am on drafters as a site on this contest, uh, what it offers in terms of expected value, um, and just the uniqueness of it uh, in that so much of the content in the industry is focused on different types of contests. You know, there's people drafting in drafters contests that are trying to correlate, that are, you know, putting players together because of week 17 game stacks. And, and it, that's just, there's no value in it. Um, there's people that are 
uh, putting bye weeks together where they're going to take zeros kind of voluntarily. Um, you know, and, you know, I've talked at length again about the uh, expected value we're expecting overlay, uh, all the deals they have going on there, uh, the bonuses you can get from that uh, code OWS if you are a first time user, OWS reload if you have been on there before. Um, but really, it is just free money. And then when you look at the when you look at how the contest pays out as well, um, you know, let's say that this contest gets to a hundred thousand entries, um, which as of today, August eighth, uh, we're sitting here. It is at twenty three thousand entries. Um, so in uh, just under a month, it is going to need uh, ninety thousand entries, basically, in order to. Uh, it's going to need basically 90,000 entries in order to fill. Uh, you know, most likely it gets near that 90 to 100,000 range. So let's just use 100,000 um, just as a, for, from an ease standpoint. Um, if there's 100,000 entries in this contest, the way the payout structure works is 18,850 players will cash. Um, so that's around 18, 19%. Their, <laughs> their minimum cash is $35, which is almost double your entry fee. Now, already your actual entry fee uh, cost per entry is going to be less than that $20 uh, because of the deals that you're going to get from playing. Um, but when you have that you know, 19%, well, on DraftKings and Underdog, the top, uh, the top two teams from that first 14 weeks is going to get, uh, that those are the only teams that are going to pay, get paid. So two out of 12 teams, that's 16.6%, um, 16.7%, I guess, uh, if we're rounding. Um, but so a higher percentage are getting paid there and they're getting paid at a higher rate. Uh, you're over doubling, uh, your entry, uh, um, or almost doubling your entry. And it, it's just, there's so much value there. Um, there is so much, uh, that you can build in your expectations of return are so much higher, uh, than they are on DraftKings and underdog where, uh, so much is reliant on that week 17. Um, if you have a great team for 14, 15 weeks, uh, you're not, your one week is not going to just, um, utterly crush your expected value. Uh, you're going to get more rewarded, uh, for your, for your, uh, efforts and for your, uh, positive, uh, expected value, your positive, um, decision-making, uh, in the draft process. So, uh, just a ton of value to find there. Uh, there's so much, uh, that you can dig into. We're going to keep getting, into the weeds with drafters over the next month. Uh, sign up for that. If you're uncomfortable with the $20 price point to start out, just get on there. They have a $3 contest as well. Uh, that one seems uh, like it's probably, it's going to fill. Uh, so you won't have the overlay there. But everything's the same as far as format. Uh, it's just at a lower price point, $3. So you can kind of get your feet wet 
uh, get used to the interface. Um, and then uh, I expect you'll love it. And then you can uh, fire away at the $20 uh, if that fits in your budget. So uh, as always, great talking, uh, great diving into the weeds with our Best Ball Plus premium subscribers. Looking forward to seeing you in those drafters, draft rooms, and we will talk to you next week.